One. How does a ghost story start? How about with an old man? The one I'm thinking about is unexceptional on the surface. Handsome, I guess. Quite fit for his age. A little shorter than he used to be, which was never exactly tall. He's never been arrested, was never late with a bill, and he sits through 5 p.m. mass every Saturday like clockwork. Alive for more than 70 years, he spent the last 30 in a Midwestern suburb, in a four-story house overlooking a small sylvan lake. He's retired now, finally, from one of those vague business-type jobs, management consultant in his case, that paid him enough money to support a wife, to shepherd four kids through graduate schools, to care for his mother, and to take vacations now and then. Italy one year, Baltimore, for some reason, the next. This ghost is not dead, anything but. A female friend, upon being introduced to him, reports that my dad still has it going on. He and I talk on the phone at least once a week. We talk about the Chicago Cubs and his golf game and whether he's added any beer cans to his collection. We talk about Notre Dame football. We talk about the weather. Gingerly, we dance around what I call my career and what he once called my permanent vacation. We never talk about the story rattling around my head, the story haunting me. It goes like this. My dad was my age, 39 years old. He smoked three packs of cigarettes a day. He drank a couple of beers every evening after work and never exercised. He was overweight. When he was my age, my dad decided to take up jogging to drop some of those excess pounds. Nothing serious. Just a few laps around the cul-de-sac. It was the 1970s. The American Frank Shorter had won gold and silver medals in two successive Olympic marathons, igniting a running boom. My dad, who set out only to lose some weight, attacked jogging with the same focus with which he approached his work. The same focus that enabled him to rise, completely on his own, seemingly through sheer will, from a working-class assignment in Milwaukee to a station atop the upper middle class. He took up jogging with the same zeal that led him to acquire, by the time he was my age, a wife and four kids and a house on a golf course, and a Chrysler New Yorker that he was terribly proud of, and financial security, and genuine professional success. Within one year of his first step as a jogger, he qualified for and ran the Boston Marathon finishing the greatest road race in the world in less than three hours. I was eight years old when he pulled this off. The same year he ran Boston for the first time, the Boston Globe Sunday magazine published a huge feature on him, six pages long, color photos, and the framework for the story that now lives in my head. The newspaper celebrated the way my dad, smoker, beer drinker, etc., transformed from couch potato to Boston so quickly. He was painted as superhuman, basically, which is how I've come to view his achievement. Not long after I turned 30, around the time my life began to slip away from me, the story in my head started to grow, to metastasize. I can't help but compare his standing then with my current station in life. I do not have four kids. I don't have any kids. I don't even have a wife anymore. I definitely don't have a house, much less a house on a golf course. I'm in the prime of my working life, yet I've actually lost money each of the past eight years. A streak that began when I left my wife, which was also the last year I held a steady job. To get by, I've exhausted my life savings. I spent the past 15 months living in a converted chicken coop. That's not a joke. In the state of Colorado, where I moved just over a year ago, I've officially been declared indigent.
I'd never been to Colorado before. I'd never even driven through the state. I moved west from Florida because I wanted to place a new story in my head. A story about applying myself and stripping away everything inessential and finally living up to the standard my father had set. In the new story I hope to author, I am no longer the shiftless son or the floundering son or the son adrift. In the new narrative, I finally become a son without adjectives. I spent a lot of time picturing how it would all turn out. I imagined molding myself into a person of substance, a guy people can count on, a doer. I saw my life landing back on track. If I got up every day and ran and focused and lived with discipline, I figured, it would follow that I'd also become an adult and find work and fit in with everyone else in America. Maybe I'd find a new wife, too. At no point did I envision a gray February morning in a tacky southern tourist town. I never saw my head bowed, my eyes fixed.